to Matthew 28 and verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, um, how many of y'all, you had the seed sown in you first before maybe you actually made a decision to really follow God? You know, me, for example, uh, I had a teacher in high school that sowed the seeds of the gospel into my heart, and um, I eventually got saved when I was about 19 or 20 and gave my life to the Lord. But then I didn't really actually make a decision to actually follow Jesus until a few years later. And uh, how many know that you can get saved, and what's awesome is, is how many know salvation is pretty much one of the easiest things that you can do? All you got to do is believe. And uh, it's not a difficult thing. It's not a challenging thing. Uh, how many of the thief on the cross got saved? And he didn't do anything. Like, he did not uh, have one single action of conduct. He, there was no element of, um, you know, any, any type of good works that he did. He didn't go to church. He didn't. Um, read his Bible, he didn't give alms, he did none of those things, he just, he just believed. And out of that place of believing, he got born again, Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And so, for me, I got saved, but I didn't actually make a decision to actually follow the Lord until later. And, um, and, what I've, and, what, and one of the things that concerned me about being a Christian is I was concerned it would be boring. And I was concerned that it was going to be about all the things that I couldn't do. And so that was not attractive to me because I've always been a person that loved freedom. I've always been a person that just wanted to have fun and wanted to have a good time. And so when I looked at the, the church and I looked at Christianity, I thought, man, there's all this stuff that these people can't do. And I thought, well, you know, if God is real, I'll just get saved right before I die. <laughs> and I'll have fun and I'll do my own thing and hopefully I won't die when I do it as I'm doing it, <clears throat> and, uh, and then I'll just get saved before I die. And so that was my mindset because I didn't really know who God was, and I didn't realize that He's actually the creator of joy. He's the creator of fun. He's the creator of all good things. Everything that you see and experience that's good has come from God. Uh, the enemy is the one that's the author of death. The enemy is the one who um, is really the author of misery and all of these types of things. <clears throat> and so after I got born again and after I finally made a decision to actually start pursuing the Lord out of a place <clears throat> of relationship, I start realizing if I walk with the Lord, my life is better on this side. Because, um, you know, thank God for eternity. Thank God for going to heaven when you die. But what I've come to find out is like, the Lord knows how to do everything. And, and the Bible says that in His presence is fullness of joy. And, and He will show us the path of life. And at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. <clears throat> and so my best life was actually following Jesus. Now, obviously, as a believer, how I many of you are going to have challenges? You're going to have storms. You're going to have battles. Um, when, when, you become, when you make a decision to become a disciple and someone who actually follows Jesus... You're going to have some battles that probably some other people might not necessarily have. How I many you know any dead fish can float down the stream? And it takes an element of courage to go against the grain. How I many you know if you make an, a decision to name the name of Jesus, 
um, you are going against what everybody else is doing. And so there is an element of conquering, there is an element of, of overcoming, but in the very same breath, the best life is a life walking with the Lord and in a place of relationship with the Lord. And, and, and I've come to find that now, you know, I've been set free from addiction, I've been set free from depression, I've been set free from all manner of things, and I stand before you now, and I'm a free man. I'm free, and I'm happy. Like, I like my life. I like what I do. I like being, I love the fact that I know God, and I can walk with Him, and I can hear His voice, and, and I can be led by His Spirit, and I can, you know, like Adam was describing, I can let the love of God just kind of flow out of me. And um, it, this is the best life. And, but, but from someone who was on the outside looking in, I just thought it was just insurance to keep me from going to hell and going to heaven. You follow me? And, and really, the, the, the more I've, I've walked with the Lord, I've come to find out this is actually the best life. I mean, you know, if, if the create, can you turn the mic a little bit? If the creator of the universe is on your team and on your side, and he's going to be leading you and guiding you and giving you wisdom and telling you how to give life, how I many you know that's what you want? You want the creator walking with you and teaching you how to live. How I many you know God knows the best way to have a marriage? How I many know God knows the best way to run a business? How I many know God knows uh, the best way to have friends, the best way to have a family? God actually knows the best way to do everything. And there's no place where God is trying to take something from you. God is always trying to give something to you. And um, a life lived as a disciple is not a boring life, and it's not a life filled with don'ts and no's. It's actually a life that's filled with yeses. And, um, and so the ultimate call, he says, therefore make disciples of all nations. And so what a disciple is, if you look at it in the Greek, it's the word metheteo, and it means um, helping someone to progressively learn the Word of God, to become matured, growing disciple, literally a learner. So a disciple is just someone who's a learner. They're, they've made a decision that they're going to learn about God, and they're going to walk the way that he walks. And that is the ultimate goal. Because how many know that when people see Jesus in us, it has impact? And not only does it have impact on them, how many know it also has impact on us? And, and for me, I had so many bad experiences with Christians, man. Christian, you know, before I was saved, you know, Christians that were holier than thou and self-righteous. How many knows we're here today? There's nobody in this room that's any better than anybody else. Can I get an amen? And, and, and my experience with Christians is it was very kind of elitist and people acted like they were better than you and they looked down on you and they judged you. And so how many know Jesus is not like that? Yeah. So even though these people named the name of Jesus, they had the bumper stickers, they listened to the radio stations, and, 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 but they did not, they weren't disciples. Because if you are someone who's a disciple, how many know you're actually reflecting the same nature and character as the Lord? And so when, when we make a decision to do that, we have impact on the, on the people around us. How I many you know this pulpit is 1% of ministry? What matters is, is the life I live when I'm not up here running my mouth. That's what has impact. That's what has power. That's what my kids are going to follow. My kids aren't just going to follow my sermons or my messages. They're going to follow my example. They're going to, they're going to, they're, you know, how many of you know kids will pick up your behavior? You can teach somebody something all day long. But if, you, if you're not leading by example, how I many you're not leading at all. It's, all? it's true. You're just monologuing. 
And, and so, as someone who's made a decision to be a disciple and be someone who's going to walk the way the Lord walked, A, it's going to make your life better, and B, it's going to have impact on those around you. Amen? And, and so that, that's, that's the call. That's the call in the church, is, is to be someone who comes and, and, and learns. Amen? And so, um, and you know, and a son who follows the, the footsteps of his father and Jesus' elder brother. How I many know we are called to emulate and to walk as he walked? Amen? We're called to be different. We're not called to be like everybody else. And we, and we mistakenly thought it had something to do with the way we looked. And so we all tried to look a certain way and wear a certain hairstyle, and that's actually not what it's about at all. How I many know you can look any way and you can still walk in love and peace and joy? It, it, it doesn't really matter what your clothes are or, or the way you wear your hair or any of that external stuff. It's actually what's coming out of your heart. Can I get an amen? And people have the ability to see Jesus in all of us because how many know Christ is already, if you're born again, how many know Christ is already in you? He's in you. You don't get more of Jesus. You don't come to church to get more of Jesus. Jesus is already in you. But what you do come to church to do is to cleanse your window pane so that the Lord can shine out of you. And the way you cleanse your, your window pane is you learn, you hear truth. And as the truth comes to you, the cruise will set you free, and it will show you who you are, and then you start to, to, to live a life that's different than the life that you used to live. If I still lived the same life that I lived when I first got born again, none of you would want to hear what I had to say. Because you wouldn't see fruit in my life worth emulating. I used to be a jerk. I used to be uh, very selfish. I was hooked on drugs. Um, I was the center of my own universe. And, and, I, and without Jesus, I had nothing that anyone would ever actually want to be a part of their lives. And so on the other side of this, and having had some years to hear truth and allow that truth to cleanse my mind and renew my mind, so that my actions and my behavior changes and my lifestyle changes, now um, I have something that's more attractive because people are seeing more of Jesus in me than they did when I was 19. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's just the, it's the truth, you know what I'm saying? And so the end game here is to be a disciple. And, and, and the reality is this, how many of God is a father? Let's, let's turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And, and God wants to father you. And a part of fathering is loving and nurturing and embracing and, and confirming identity and encouraging and all of those things. But how many also a part of a father is correcting? And, and, and if you're not correcting, then you're not fathering. Because correction is love. You know, I grew up in a household where uh, my mom, God love her, she's free now, but she was an alcoholic, and she drunk herself into oblivion seven days a week, and on the weekends, uh, she would go and be with my stepdad and would leave me at, at home uh, alone, like when I was in high school. And, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, this is awesome, because I'm, I'm going to throw parties at my house, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Friday night, parties at my house. Why? Well, I got no parents there. We do whatever we want until, until Sunday night when my mom comes home. And so at the time, I loved it because it was freedom, but actually there was an absence of love there because there was an absence of correction. God love her, 
She just was doing the best she could with what she, and I don't blame my mom. How I many know if you blame her, my, your mom, you got to blame the mom before him, and the mom before him, and the dad before him. Blah, 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 blah. We got to go all the way back to the serpent, right? It's the devil's fault that people are messed up. So don't blame people. But the reality was, I did not have anyone that loved me enough to correct me. And it had a very negative impact on my life. And it would take God years for me to get to the place where I was ready to be fathered. I'm talking years. The Lord had to come to me as a friend at first because I had no framework for dad. He had to come. He was my friend. Jesus was my friend and still is. But then slowly, I started beginning to realize I need a friend, but I also need to be fathered. And, and, and because, man, fathering is love, man. If my, if my child is going in the wrong direction... Then how I many know I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage them not to go that direction because I don't want them to get hurt. Everybody tracking me here, and see I don't care. I, and and you may have had a, a good father, you may not have had a good father, but but if your father was awesome, Father God's still a better father. So all of us, how I many know we're all kids in God's family, and we are all being fathered by God, and a part of God fathering us is there's an element of correction to what He does. Because he wants what's best for your life. Can you get an amen? amen? And so in Hebrews chapter five, Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 5, it says, You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Man, chastening is an awful translation of that word. I, that word is paideia, and it means child ring. It's the same place where we get the word for, uh, what's a doctor for kids? A pediatrics. It's the same place where that word comes from. And so it actually means child rearing. You know, we hear chastening. We think, Whoosh. that's not what it's saying at all. It means that someone is nurturingly raising somebody up as a child. you got to study the scriptures in the original language because there are times when, when, when the, the translators hit it and there are times when they miss it. But thank God we have Bible tools now. We can study the Greek, study the Hebrew, study the Aramaic. And he says, you've forgotten the exhortation. I mean, exhortation is encouragement. You've forgotten the exhortation which speak to you as sons. My son, do not despise the correction of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son in whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not correct? It says, if you endure correction. You can't be fathered if you can't be corrected. If you can't be corrected, you're not a son, you're a bastard. Speaking from a redeemed bastard. No one could correct me. Nobody. My mama couldn't correct me. Police couldn't correct me. Nobody could correct me. And it just about killed me. But the Lord never gave up on me. And he kept pursuing me, and I'm alive today because he finally got a hold of me and, and, and fathered me because I saw all authority as evil. Because from a young age, I find out the adults don't know what's going on. My mom used to get drunk and would try to kill herself, and I would have to hide all of the sharp instruments in the house as a, as a, a grade school kid. And then the next day, wouldn't even remember she'd done it. I mean, I, I got story after story after story. So from as a young kid... I, re I thought, i got to take care of me because nobody else is going to take care of me. 
And so when I finally came to God, God's like, I'll take care of you. And I'm like, I don't believe you. No one who's ever been in authority over me took care of me. So why are you going to take care of me? And then he convinced me that he loved me and that I had value apart from the things that I did. And then I slowly began to open my heart and let him father me. But today, I have a father. And I trust him. And when he corrects me, I love it. Because he's correcting me for me. He's not correcting me for him. He's correcting me for me. And so now when I go to the scriptures and I go to the word of God, I'm like, bring the correction. And not in the sense, because you got to understand, God never corrects with condemnation. God never comes to you and says, you are bad. He never says that. He never comes to you and says, you are bad. He never, ever calls you bad. He always calls you good. He always calls you son. He always calls you daughter. And his correction is this. You are so good that I want something better for you than what you're currently experiencing. And because you are good, I'm going to correct you because you are better than that. When the prodigal, like Adam was sharing earlier, when the prodigal son came home, the father never questioned whether he was a son or not. The son questioned whether he was a son. He didn't feel like he was worthy to be a son, so he was trying to work for it. The father never, ever questioned his identity. And, the, and our father in heaven never does that either. So this correction is not a condemning correction. It's a correction of love. It's a correction of this. Sweetheart, you're going the wrong way. Turn. That's it. Turn because you have value. Not in order to get value. And so your life as a child is a series of fatherly exhortation, but also of correction. And, and you know, and so, and so what correction, I will talk about the word repentance. And please take everything that you know about repentance and flush it down the toilet for just a second. Because that word has been taught so poorly that people think that it that repent, and I might maybe you've had good teaching on it. I don't know, but it's not just sackcloth and ashes. It's not just weeping in tears. Repentance is one of the healthiest and most beautiful things that can be brought into your life. And see, correction comes for the purpose of repentance. Now, in the Hebrew, it's the word teshuva, and and it literally means to return as if turning back to something you strayed or looked away from. So let's say that I'm leaving the stage here. I'm leaving the stage, and if I'm to repent, I turn from leaving, and I go back to coming home and returning to the stage. It's simply a change of direction. It's simply a change of direction. Like yesterday, we went to this, um, we went to this uh, birthday party, and Lily is a lot, she has a similar personality that I do. And so she's very, she's very strong-willed, and she wants to do what she wants to do. And they have this huge water slide, which is super cool. And, and I'm trying to get her to let me take her down the water slide. Because there's all kinds of kids everywhere, and I can protect her. If a kid hits me, they just bounce off of me. But, but she's only two. And so she will not let me do it, and she does it herself, and there she goes, 
and she gets hit by a kid, and then she gets hit by another kid, and then I pick her back up, and I hold her. Now, how many know, just because she disobeyed me does not mean she's lost value. She's still my precious child. And when I pick her up, I hold her, I love her, I console her. However, her life would have been better if she'd have listened to me. Right? And how many know, with the Lord, it's the same thing. God knows how to do this thing, right? And so, the word repentance means to return and to come back. And in the Greek, it's a compound word. It's meta, which means changed after being with, and noia, which means to think. Meta, noia. So, repentance in the Greek, listen to me, it just means you change your mind. You change the way you think. So, biblical repentance is when truth comes to you and you say, oh, the way I saw that was wrong and I'm going to see it the way you see it and I'm just going to change the way I think about what I'm doing and I'm going to repent and change the way I see it. Everybody understand that? I mean, that's real simple. When truth comes, see, I want every lie that I believe to be exposed and removed. Every lie that I believe about myself, every lie that I believe about God, I'm not foolish enough to stand up here and think that I know all truth. How I many you know we are all still getting free? Never, you, freedom is not a one-time event. You are progressively getting more and more free if you'll make a decision to allow yourself to be wrong so that you can grow, so that you can be fathered. Can I get an amen? I never want to get to this place where I think I know everything. If you think you know everything, you're done. You've maxed out. You will never grow anymore. I don't want that. I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to be a disciple. How many of a disciple is a learner? So you don't reach this certain spot and then you are super duper Christian person or whatever. There's no experts on God that walk the earth. Not one. Everybody can learn more. We can, I mean, we can learn from each other. I dare say everyone in this room probably understands something about God that no one else does. And so we can learn from each other. And, but if we think that we've arrived and we can't learn anything else, how many know we have now stopped growing? How many know that's called pride? And so correction and repentance is a way of life for a son and a daughter of God, and it's also a way of life for a disciple. And I have come to find out, if I'll let God correct me, He'll make my life better. Can I get an amen? I, if I will let God correct me, my marriage will be better. I'll be a better husband. If I'll let God correct me, I'll be a better father. If I'll let God correct me, I'll be a better minister. If I'll let God correct me, I'll be a better friend. Anything and everything, God knows how to do it all. And if I'll come to the table and be ready to be fathered, and not just know the truth, but allow it to come through and change the way I think. Everybody tracking me here? And so, there's a couple different types of repentance, and I'm trying to determine if I'm going to go to those places or not. I will, quickly. Matthew chapter 3, how many know John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom? And he, he, he came preaching a type of repentance. 
And what you have to understand is that what John was presenting was actually insulting to the Jewish people because the Jewish people thought that their nationality alone had the ability to save them. But John came letting them know, no, your nationality is not enough to save you. And that's why they were being baptized. See, the baptism of John, see, the Jewish culture, they baptized the non-Jews into becoming proselytes and renouncing foreign gods and making a decision to become a Jewish person. They had something, they, had called, they would have proselytes. So Greeks could do it, um, anybody could do it, but they had to come and have a baptism signifying that their old life had died and they were, they were about to start a new life. And so John came preparing the way of Jesus and he came preaching, we all need to be baptized. Not just the people that are not of our nationality. Because how many know that their, their nationality was not enough to save them? You don't get by through your ethnic group in the kingdom or the color of your skin. And, and so in John's, in John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, Repent. He's like, Change your mind. And so everyone starts getting baptized. Verse 11. And he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's talking about Jesus. So John is coming, and he's changing their minds about the way they think because they've had several hundred years of trusting in their nationality for their relationship with God. And how many of God's bringing in something different? God's bringing in something new. How many of God is bringing his kingdom to earth and he's doing it through the King, Jesus Christ. And so John kept, came preaching the repentance. And then in Mark chapter 1, and in, and in verse 14, Jesus came preaching repentance as well. And, and his repentance was similar to John's, but different. His, to, his went a step further. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, Now after John was put in prison, after John's ministry had ran its course, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Believe in the gospel. I mean, Jesus came to let everybody on earth know, no one is getting saved without believing in me. I don't care if you're a Jew. I don't care if you're a Gentile. I don't care if you're a Greek. I don't care what you are. Change your mind. Because you can't be good enough to get to heaven and you can't, be, um, you can't be born of Abraham in order to get to heaven. Everybody tracking me on this. And so Jesus came preaching to repentance. He said, change your mind concerning because the kingdom is coming. And how many know now we're in the kingdom of God? Why are you in the kingdom? Because you believed. Right? And now um, it's not based on an ethnic group. And how many know it's also, it's also not based on your conduct? You don't earn your way into this thing. You believe your way into this thing. Yes. Amen? And, and so, and then let's, let's turn to Hebrews 6 quickly. And, and once again, the, the repentance that came, that was presented, and, and Hebrews 6.1 lays it out really well. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ... Let us go into perfection, 
not laying in the foundation of, of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. How many know that when Jesus came, He gave a message of your works can't save you? Like, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise get to heaven. How many know the only righteousness that's going to get you to heaven is Jesus' righteousness? And you get Jesus' righteousness by believing in Him and receiving Him as the gift that He is. Can I get an amen? How many know that's a change of mind? That's a form of repentance. That's a form of correction. Now, um, and then let's turn to Romans chapter 12 real quick. So, they came preaching a message of repentance. They came preaching a message of change. And, and, and today, God is still looking to bring more truth into our lives so that we can be changed. See, I want to grow. I don't want to be the same way next year. I don't want to be the same way the year after that. I want to grow. I want to get... And, and, and Because here's the thing. When you grow, your life gets better. When you, when you allow the truth to renew your mind, your life gets better. Listen, this is not about being good at Bible trivia. This is not about punching your time card saying you went to church. If you are truly a disciple, you're making a decision of, I want to change the way I think. I want to metanoia. I want to repent. And I want to embrace truth so that I can have freedom and so that I can shine Jesus out of my life so that my life's better and the life of those around me is better. I mean, when the fruit of the Spirit is flowing out of you, your life's better. I'm talking about love and peace and joy and kindness and goodness. I mean, you know, when those things are flowing out of you, you are a better husband. You are a better wife. You are a better son, a better daughter. And when I say better, I don't mean better in the sense of value. I'm talking about the expression of Christ in you. Amen? And so I want to grow. And, 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 and hopefully you want to grow too because it's not just, a, it, it certainly it's for you, but it's not just for you. It's also for those around you. I mean, when someone in your home gets a breakthrough, there's a breakthrough open for everybody now. Because when there, because, and all a breakthrough is, is when truth comes, I change my mind, and I decide to do things the way God does things rather than the way I do things. You know, my marriage started changing tremendously, and, and I've, I've got a great marriage, but like I would say within the past year, I've made a decision to go to the Scriptures and find out what my part is. Not her part. My part. And then when I make a decision to do my part, everything changes. Because I'm not, I, I don't do my part so that she'll do her part. I do my part because that's what God has empowered me to do. And when, and, when you, and when you approach truth in that way, you, you leave this realm of marriage being a debt transaction. Well, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Well, I'll do this if you do that. They don't, that's not how it works. God scratches your back first when you don't earn it and you don't deserve it. And then because He scratched your back, you want to scratch other people's backs. If you'll allow that. Because you need Jesus to be the tree of life. You need Jesus to be the supply. 
Because if I'm just pouring in your cup when I think that you've earned enough so that you've poured in my cup and we're both just clinking cups, that's, and we're, well, you owe me this and I owe you that, that's not love. That's a business transaction. And, and God has something better for your relationships than a business transaction. God wants to get your relationships out of this low level of making people owe you. I mean, no, no one owes you anything. Your wife don't owe you anything. Your husband don't owe you anything. Let me give you a newsflash. Your kids don't owe you anything. No one owes you anything. And man, the sooner you get a hold of that, the less time you're going to be disappointed. You, you, when you start setting people up and, and putting expectations on people and everybody owes you and you got, they got to do this because they owe you, you are missing it. That's not how it works. You need to connect to the eternal fountain of life and let Him scratch your back and then let Him instruct you what you are supposed to do. You don't control other people's lives. You're not good to people when they're good to you. The world does that. You are good to people because God was good to you. And when people are bad to you, you are still good to them. This is how you win. He laid it out right here in the book. He said, this is how you win. You just do good. Because I made you good. And then when you get down, and when nobody's filled up your cup, and nobody's loved you, you be like David, and you go encourage yourself in the Lord, and you develop and have your own relationship with God. Not through your church, not through a pastor, not through anybody on this planet. It's just you and Jesus. And you have a relationship with Him. And if you can have a relationship with Him when church is not cool or the pastor's not cool or your spouse is not cool or the world is not cool, you are not shaken by the performance of other people because you are established on the rock. This is what a disciple does. This is not what all believers do. This is not what all Christians do. You need to have a relationship with God apart from another human being. Because if your relationship with God is based upon another human being, your relationship with God is going to be up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's going to lend itself to codependent tendencies. I'll say it again. Nobody owes you nothing. And it's fantastic when you start realizing that. Because then you stop holding things over people and get disappointed when they don't do what you never communicated to them you wanted them to do anyway. Because you were just internally wanting them to do something. Well, they need to fulfill their part in the Scriptures. They need to do their part and then I'll do my part. It's not, that is not how it works. It's not how it works. God died for you and took all your sin away. You've been eternally forgiven and now you have lost the right to hold aught against anybody. Now, I don't, I don't mean you guys spend time with everybody. And I don't mean you don't have healthy boundaries in your life. Can I get an amen? I, you know, that's important. You're not called to be a doormat. I got people in my family that aren't allowed to be around me. I love them from afar. Hallelujah. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And I'm not trying to be... I'm just saying, you want to know... Take a walk through Proverbs. Proverbs will tell you who to hang out with and who not to hang out with. So I'm not encouraging you to unconditionally trust everyone. If you unconditionally trust everyone, then you will be used and abused. That's, right. That's, right. That's not in the book. 
You're not, a, you know, if you trust everybody, you're in trouble. Ain't everybody trustworthy. Now, you are called to love everybody. And you are called to forgive everybody. Can I get an amen? And you are called to do those things. But if you are basing your conduct upon the actions of other people and whether they fulfill what you need them to do in order for you to do what you do, you're not a doer of the Word. You are a doer of someone else's requirements and someone else's behavior. If you try to build the rock of your life on your spouse and it's their job to make you happy, you are not going to be happy. Let me take it a step further. Ain't nobody called to make you happy. That's no one's calling. They are not called to make you happy. That's not in the book. No. If your happiness revolves around a human being, it's too much pressure on that human being because they're not God. And it's also setting you up for disappointment because that human being is a human being. At the end of the day, they're going to have times when their cup is totally empty. And they need Jesus just like you need Jesus. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your transformation process, this act of repentance, this act of becoming a disciple, is, is, is making a decision to change the way you look at things and to do things differently. And to do things the way God does things. And I'll read you this before I move in to the next. But John chapter 8 and verse 31, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed to Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free from fear, free from depression, free from shame, free from condemnation. All of the truth that God's throwing at you and the correction and the repentance He's bringing in your life is for the purpose of making you free. I would say within the past couple years of my life, I am now free from what people think about me. Oh my gosh, what a great freedom. I don't care if people like me anymore. Gosh, it's taken me over 40 years to get here. But I'm in this place where I don't care at all. Wow, it's fantastic. Because I know God likes me, and I know God loves me. And when I know that, that now sets me free to serve you in love. I don't need you to like me for me to serve you. I don't need your approval to have value. I don't need anyone's approval to have value. It's finally got down inside of me like it's a part of me now. Dude, I walk different. I talk different. My whole life's different. And it's not turned me into a jerk. It's actually turned me into a son that loves to serve. Because I'll serve you. <laughs> I'll serve all of you. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and Because I want to. But not because I'm trying to get you to like me. Because at the end of the day, I don't need to obey anybody here, online, anywhere on earth. I just need to obey God. Because when I die, I'll be standing before Him. I'm on earth to obey God. <laughs> Oh, it's a great place to be. And what it'll do, it'll give you the backbone and the strength to rock the boat when it's time for the boat to be rocked. Because when you follow God, you will rock the boat. And if you are getting your approval from other people, then you won't have the strength to do the right thing when everyone around you wants you to do the wrong thing. And you'll cave to peer pressure, and you'll cave to those things, and then, you, then your life may be good for a second, but down the road there's some pain. No, 
No, no, no. I'm going to do what God says. Man, it makes everything so much easier. And so truth brings freedom. And, and so I'm going to read you two scriptures because I don't want to go, because I, I need to hurry because i got 20 minutes left and I have other places I need to go. But a part of the way God brings correction and the way God brings growth is through the fivefold ministry gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, this is talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equip, equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There are leaders in the body of Christ. You should have a leader in your life that is one of some of these leaders that I'm talking about. Uh, this is an area where we struggle because we've all been hurt by leaders. And so we, 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 we just say, it's just me and Jesus, it's just me and Jesus. That's not scriptural. Just you and Jesus is setting you up for failure. No, it says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You need leaders. It took me a long time to embrace being a leader, didn't it, Logan? <laughs> I mean, dear God. Just about died before I was done. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm in my 40s now. I'm going to live to, you know, what, 100 years old or something like that? I mean, but all I'm, because how many know when you've been abused by leaders, it's different. You don't want to lead because you think you're going to hurt people. But then finally, when God got over to me, I made you a leader so you could serve people, not so you could lord over people. And boy, when I finally got a hold of that and then I embraced it now, I, I serve when I lead, and it feels good, and it's a happy thing, and it's a, it's a good thing because it's healthy. But so many people have been hurt in the body of Christ, and they're afraid of leaders, but God, God, God will place different leaders in your life to help your growth, to help your growth, to help your growth, to help your growth. They will never take the place of your relationship with Jesus. How I many you know you hear God for you better than anybody else does? And you need, to, you need to know the voice of your Father apart from any physical leader. Extremely important. You need to read your Bible for yourself. Can I get an amen? So, and don't believe anything any leader says hook, line, and sinker just because they're on TV or pastor at church or whatever. You study the Scriptures. It's healthy for you to disagree with me on some doctrinal issues. You should. If you have your own relationship with God, I don't agree 100% with any human being on this planet. And if I did... I don't think that's healthy because I'm a replica rather than a son. Everybody understand how I'm bouncing this out? Yeah. But at the same time, we need leaders. And it's healthy to have leaders, but you need to have your own relationship with God. And then the next thing is community. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some, exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. You need to be doing life with the community of believers. You need other believers in your life. You need people to love you, to help you, to be there for you, to rub you the wrong way. Can I get an amen? To make you mad in the parking lot because they took your spot. You need that. You don't grow without some friction. You need different personality types. You don't need to be surrounded by yes men or yes women or whatever. We need the body, right? And so a part of your growth is leaders, Part of your growth is community. Now, let's get into the good stuff. Romans chapter 2. i got 15 minutes left, and we're going to finish this. There's three different motivations for, actually four different motivations for repentance or for change. And I just want to discuss those here very quickly in closing. How many of y'all want to grow? I do. You know, I want to grow. I want to change. I want, to, I want more of Jesus shining out of me, man. I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to be wrong. I'm ready to grow. 
And I never want to lose that mindset. That's a part of staying young, is being ready to, to, to learn. Never think you can't learn anything new. Never think, you know, the old dog can't teach an old dog new tricks and all that stuff. That's not in the book. The Bible says Caleb took the mountain with all the giants on it when he was in his 80s. So don't come at me with any of that stuff. The Bible will renew your youth, and the Bible will make you strong, but you've got to stay humble, and you've got to be ready to be taught if you really want to be a disciple. And so the number one way that God is going to bring correction into your life, and we looked, about, we looked at just that former verse, is His Word, is the Scriptures. And Jesus said, if you abide in my Word, my, my words abide in you, and there's going to be freedom that comes into your life. And the Bible says we are, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the Word of God is what's going to correct you. And concerning my marriage, what did God ask me to do with my wife? God asked me to love her the way Jesus loved me. God asked me to uh, dwell with her according to knowledge. God asked me to honor her and consider her to be precious and prized and valued. That's what God asked me to do. Right? And so if I'm going to read the Scriptures i got to make a decision. And it says, don't be bitter against your wife. There's a whole lot more instruction towards the husband than the wife. Because <laughs> we probably need some more instruction. Hallelujah. I won't even get into what it tells the wife to do, because I'm not going to touch that today. You read it yourself. But when I made a decision to allow those truths to change me, you know what happened? My marriage started getting better and better. My marriage is better today than it's ever been in my entire life. Our level of communication is better. We are closer than we've ever been. Do we have, we have growth? Yes, we can definitely grow. But it's better than it's ever been because I made a decision. I'm going to let the truth change me. Amen. And so the, the Word of God will bring correction. And if you can line up your thinking and have repentance, metanoia, change the way you think according to the Word, it's going to make your life better. Amen. I mean, the Word of God will tell you how to raise your kids. We're going to really actually tell you how to do everything, right? And so, but now, the motivation, Romans chapter 2 to verse 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness of God leads you to change your mind. I'm standing up here because God was better to me than anybody I've ever met. I have never met anyone who is as faithful to me as God has been. And the reason, because I was very rebellious, and I had a chip on my shoulder, and nobody could tell me anything, but you know what wore me down? The goodness of God. The goodness of God, God loved the hell out of me. God, God, I raised the white flag. I serve God. And the reason that I now serve God is because He's so good. And that word for good is the word kindness. It's an unusual word in the, word in the Greek because it's hard for it to be uh, translated into the English language because it means kindness and usefulness together. And what it means is, is God, wants to, God wants to be kind to you and helpful to you. And once you start realizing that He wants to be kind to you and helpful to you, to you and you start, He's so good and He's so kind and He's so loving, you're like, you know what? I want to do what you want to do because I know you're looking out for me. The goodness of God leads you to metanoia. So one of the aspects of repentance is just God's goodness. Can I get an amen? That He would love you so much. It's easier... It, 
Rebellion, fear could never remove me out of rebellion. You couldn't punish me enough to get me to stop rebelling. You couldn't scare me with consequences. I'd go to jail. I'd go to rehab. No amount of punishment could ever make me change. But the goodness of God quenched my rebellion. And I'm just like, okay, God, what do you want? Amen. And so one of the primary motives behind us making a decision to change our, our minds is the goodness of God. But then the, but then the next thing is, it, it, I'm trying to see which one I want to go to. And then, the, well, we'll go to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. How many know that being corrected is not fun? If we're honest. Like natural, like when I correct my kids, they're usually not hyped about it. You know what I'm saying? They're like, ugh. Why? Because as human beings, like we all just kind of want to do what we want to do. But so when correction comes, it doesn't always feel good. And, it, and there can be a sorrow that comes along with correction. And let's look at it in the scriptures. And Paul here is, is speaking to the Corinthian church whom he just corrected about their behavior. He, he, you know, and people that say that there's no behavior correction in the New Testament are not telling the truth. Yeah, I know we're under grace. I know we're the righteousness of God. I know, I mean, and Paul never pulled back this church's identity. They were in sexual immorality. He never pulled back their identity. He still said, know you not that you're the temple of the living God. You are saints. They were saints and they were the temple, but they were still doing dumb stuff. And so Paul had to correct it. And so he corrected it with the first letter, and now he's talking about this correction because what happened was it brought forth a godly sorrow of like, I feel bad about this. And this is the next motivation that helps us metanoia or change our minds or repent is this place of godly sorrow. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to change. Your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. He's like, I didn't correct you because I wanted to take from you. You have to understand that. God's correction is never taking from you. God's correction is always adding to you. Always. He says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. This is not talking about the born-again experience. This is talking about salvation in, in the sense of the word being soteria. How many know there's some areas of your mind that need salvation? There's some areas of healing. You know, one of the things that I struggled with was communicating when I was being corrected because I was, uh, I was emotionally abused as a child by my mom. She would get drunk and, and she would just tear into me for hours. And so... When I got married and my wife disagreed with me or had any type of like criticism towards me, I went right back to being a little kid again. So you couldn't talk to me about anything or I'd just lose my mind. And God let that darkness, he left it alone for a long time, but then finally he said, okay, it's now time to heal this. Are you ready to face this? Are you ready to realize that you were hurt and you were abused as a child, and now it's time for this to heal. But it can't heal until you recognize that it's there, and you embrace the fact that it's there, and then you let me tell you this is not the way you are. God's correction always comes in the form of identity. 
And as God began to minister to that place on the inside of me and began to touch that place, now I'm healing of that wound. I've not arrived, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm a so much better than what I used to be. Because when that old behavior and that old mindset tries to arise, I remember, this isn't me. These emotions that I'm feeling. Because I feel like I'm attacked. I feel like I'm a caged animal. And I feel like I've got I to gotta fight back. And it's like, no, no, your wife's just trying to have a conversation with you. <laughs> Pick your underwear up off the floor, you know. Something, you know, whatever. But like, and then when I allowed God to correct that untruth in me, it brought forth healing. And you now you know what? I communicate better. And because I communicate better, my marriage is better. Amen. And see, but here's the thing. So I got some salvation in an area that I needed it. See, you're born again one time, but God wants to bring salvation to all those places in you that are wounded. All those places when you were a kid. All those places when you were maybe in another marriage. All those places when you were hurt or wounded. You're still, if you don't let God heal that, you're still carrying it. And you may have coping mechanisms... You may drink to try to cover it. You may eat to try to cover it. You may sex to try to cover it. You may sleep to try to cover it. But it's still there. And it needs healing. And the, and the beautiful canopy of God's love and correction is, un, is under this. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are a son. You are a daughter. And God's not kicking you out of the family because you got a stinky diaper. He just wants to change it. Because... You can't grow if you're not willing to repent and admit that you're wrong. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? God wants to father you. And so it says godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. That salvation is that word soteria, and I needed healing in that area. And now I communicate better because I used to not communicate at all. I grew up in a family that nobody communicated. If we were mad, we just stayed mad, and we held grudges, and we didn't talk. And we pouted. <laughs> That's what we did. And so we never worked anything out. And so we may have had peace on the outside, but really, we didn't have real peace. All we had was suppressed hurt. And God wants us to be able to communicate with Him and with each other so that healing could happen. Everybody tracking me here? Because God's end game here is healing you and making you whole so that you enjoy your life and so that you also shine Jesus out of your life. Amen? And so he goes on and says, man, the godly sorrow, it produced repentance in your life. It produced zeal. You guys are better. So that guy who was wrapped up in all that craziness, how many know he came back, he repented, he changed? How many know he never lost his sonship even when he was making mistakes? How many know God never kicked him out? Can I get an amen? amen. But God knew he didn't, have his, he didn't have the best at what God had for him. Amen? And so the last place of repentance, this is the last thing we're going to talk about and we're going to close, is circumstantial repentance. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many know many of us don't change until we're forced to? What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many know the prodigal son didn't repent because of the goodness of the father or godly sorrow? How many know he repented because he's hungry? If we all just want to be honest... The man was hungry. And so 
circumstantial repentance. And unfortunately, <clears throat> this is called the school of hard knocks. <laughs> this is because um, the wise man loves correction. And the wise man's ready to be wrong. But how many of you know some of us, we're not ready to change until we're tired of experiencing the hell that we're experiencing? Me too. Me too. You know, and, and circumstantial. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many of you know that God loves you enough? Like, for example, my daughter back on the slip and slide. She took some circumstantial correction. God love her. She took a couple hits. I mean, it wasn't anything dramatic, but some kids bumped into her. She's only two. And so after I had consoled her, after I calmed her down, I then tried to explain to her the reason that happened is that you didn't listen to me. So hopefully the circumstances taught her that her father loves her enough to take care of her and correct her. How many old kids get a lot of circumstantial correction? You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, you're not going to change until this sucks so much that you're like, I'm ready to change. How many old adults get a lot of circumstantial correction? Come on, dude, if we're all honest. You know what I'm saying? A lot of us, like, how many know we like comfort and we don't like to change? Most of us don't want to change. I mean, you know, you just, you, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is how I am, and we identify with things that are actually not healthy for us. But then you get into a situation and you get into a circumstance that's so bad, and then God's like, okay, are you ready for the answer? No, God, I'm going around the mountain again. <laughs> One more time, let's go. Same results. Same results. Same results. God's like, are you ready? Wisdom is crying out. Wisdom is ready to help you and correct you. No, God, one more time. Come on. Everybody in this room has been there, if we're honest. And then, and then finally you're like, and then, and then you beaten up, bruised, sad, unhappy, depressed, and wanting to blame somebody else. <laughs> Come on now. Wanting to blame God or blame each other. <laughs> but then eventually, if you sit still long enough and put your phone down to listen, <laughs> God will let you know that it's not their fault, it's not my fault. It's your fault. <laughs> Come on now. I'm not condemning you, but if you keep doing that, you're not going to go where you want to go. And you're not going to be where you want to be. Can I get an oh me here? Come on now. See, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Like God is never going to pull back His gifts and callings. But how many know you only live for so long? And so dang, I mean, if you just take too many trips around the mountain, then your game's over. I don't mean that to freak anybody out or scare anybody. God will redeem time. Can I get an amen? But he'll always come back to the place where you made a decision not to listen to him. You're, you're, you're not hearing God well or not being led by God. He'll always bring you back to that place. Praise God. That's not fun stuff, is it? That's not shout me down because I'm preaching good 
uh, stuff. Yeah, it's hot in here. That's right. It's that kind of stuff. But, but it's true though. Like it's, and you know, and 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 you may be hearing God really well in some areas of your life, but then there are some areas where you don't want God to be involved. And see, sometimes we think because we hear God so well in some areas of our life that we're just hitting it on all fronts. And we're not. There's certain. I mean, you know, there's some areas where you're like, okay, God, I'll listen to you, but not in that area. Not in that one. That one's mine. And God's so good to, to us that He won't try to fix everything at once. Thank God. He'll be like, okay, let's work on this. And then He'll leave you alone in all these other areas. But then you hate the results that you're getting because of all these other areas. And you reach out, God, why won't this happen? He's like, well, maybe. It's because you're not doing this scripture right here. <laughs> See, everything connects. Ministry and family aren't separated. Nothing is separated. It's all together. And, and we learn in the, in the old way of doing things, we learn things separately, and it's not really like that. How, you know, how you treat your family is more important than how you treat strangers. And how you treat the people that are near you. Because how I many you know people can be nice to strangers, but not nice to their family? So, anyway, praise God. I felt the anointing lift right then. <laughs> God's like, you're done. Do you want to go down the mountain, around the mountain again? <laughs> Amen. But the good news is, is that God will stick with you, and He loves you, and He'll help you. Can I get an amen? amen. And He'll be a dad to you. And, you know, and just because my daughter missed it on that slide that one time don't mean that we're, we're, she's not going to get another shot to do it in the right way. But, but being a disciple means being someone who's ready to learn and be corrected. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Father, we just, I thank you that you help us to stay humble. You, step, you help us to stay teachable. And you help us to learn from you. And, uh, Lord, we thank you that you are our dad and you lead us and guide us into all truth. And uh, Lord, we thank you for great days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need a giving envelope this morning, lift your hand up. We'll get one to you. Um, Dan, can you get it? Because I think Tim is picking up the uh, chicken. And then we got a couple announcements. Um, we are going to continue our Thursday night meetings. So we're going to continue to have our midweek on Thursday nights. And uh, so that will continue to happen. Uh, we, were, we were just doing it during the summer. And now we're going to continue to do it, so we'll, we'll still be meeting here at 6 o'clock on Thursday nights. Um, and then, uh, I'm trying to think, my wife is the one who usually does all the announcements. Um, we will have an outreach on August 14th. So that's, can, can I have an envelope, please? We have an outreach on August 14th, and uh, that will be, if anybody wants to help with that or serve with that, uh, please see myself or Stacy. Thank you, sir. I'll take a pen, too. I would have got all this done before him, but I was busy doing stuff. And then, uh, does anybody else know anything that I don't know that I should be talking about? Chicken's going to be late. Chicken's going to be late, okay. Is that what Tim said? Okay. So, we are going to eat, have a picnic, hopefully play some volleyball. Oh, women's ministry. Yeah, when is the next one? Next Saturday at Felicia's. What time? I don't think she said what time. Yeah. So okay, there's a women's group uh, that's on on Facebook Messenger. If you're not in that, uh, talk to Stacy or. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, Dan. Praise God.
And she'll get you included in that. But they're going to be meeting at Felicia's house next Saturday. At a, for a pool party. Amen. That's good. So women's meeting next Saturday, there's a pool party. It'll be at Felicia's house. And uh, if you get on that messaging group, they'll give you the time. Does anybody else know anything that I don't know? Yeah, I did say that. I was a good boy. Thank you for that. Yeah. So not this coming Monday. The Monday after that, we'll have our outreach down there at the gathering place. Thank you for that, Connie. And I guess that's it, man. So, Lord, we ask you to bless this offering. We ask you to bless the food that's here and the food that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So everybody chill. Have a good time. If you want to grab a chair or a table or something, take it outside. Feel free to do that. And uh, food will be here soon, and we'll be able to...